0: We have been in this message series in the book of Colossians for several weeks now, and we've called this Enough, and we're talking about that Jesus is enough. It's about the sufficiency of Christ, that Jesus is all that we need for everything, for life and for godliness. And as we've traveled through this book, uh, we've looked at a number of different topics, and today we're getting into the subject of relationships. And so we're going to be on a little bit of a, a relationship workshop this morning. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter three, and if you have a Bible, I invite you to start finding that right now, whether it's in print or on your on your smartphone or tablet. We also make Bibles available every Sunday; they're at the front and at the connection center. I invite you to help yourself as you come on in. Well, we're talking about relationships. Uh, some of you know that I used to ride a motorcycle, and um, uh, you know I don't anymore because of all you bad drivers in this city. So. Um, so many, too many red light runners, but, uh, when you ride a motorcycle, you are instantly, there's my, there's the Harley Davidson I used to ride. And, uh, when you ride a motorcycle, you're in a, you're in a motorcycle community instantly. Now this is kind of faded a little bit, but Vester, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's this little wave that motorbikers, motorcyclists do to each other. It's just this cool, like couple fingers off the handlebar, you know, it's just like, yep. Yeah, we're in. We are our own community. Now that's kind of getting lost, I've noticed. But inside the motorcycle community, then there's subgroups. So riding a Harley Davidson opened like opportunities for me that riding my earlier bike didn't. This is me on my Honda. Uh, this is a. Uh, but I will say this bike was so fun to drive, and a friend of mine helped me paint it. So, um, yeah, there we are in motion, about 70 miles an hour, and. There we are. Um, in the life of faith, when you commit to Christ, you become part of a community, a wider community. Uh, here's a picture of us at our anniversary uh, last year. Uh, that's us in a kind of that broader place. A community is ultimately defined by relationships, right? Now, I could have been in the motorcycle community without personally knowing any other riders, and yet there's... Kind of an instant relationship or at least the potential of relationships in that. If you showed up at a biker group and you started talking shop, everybody just kind of look at you like you're a poser, move along. Right? There's something about that community that has relationships instantly. And for the Christian believer, your faith, your commitment to Christ is tested and proven by the way you live out those relationships by the way you relate to people around you you know we've you've, you've heard you've heard good stories you've heard terrible stories you've heard stories of you know examples of let's say for example the ultra religious dad and he's a deacon in the church and everybody is like looks up to him and admires him and respects him but at home he's a terrible man and he's abusive to his wife and his kids and and, and we just think wow and just completely destroys his credibility as a christian with his family we've heard those stories and and we know that we're not as perfect as we'd like to project. And sometimes like we show up and we've got the mask on and, and it's just like, Hey, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I got no problems. Right. And and we're like, don't get too close to anybody because they'll find out that I'm not perfect. And then I'm struggling in my relationships with my kids or, or, or my finances or whatever. And so we kind of protect, but in, in a, in a real true community, those it's okay to be imperfect, but we begin to get to know uh, what we're really, like because even though relationships can be the place of kind of sometimes ugliness i mean relationships will reveal sometimes our great brokenness as people as sinners right and yet relationships are also the best place for the grace and the glory of god to be made known so relationships can reveal us at our worst but relationships can also bring up the best of who god is isn't that amazing isn't that amazing? Now, if you were here last Sunday, uh, you'll know we were in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12 to 18. And uh, our friend Ricky Sanchez from Thailand uh, just brought out some real exciting stories of what's happened in the ministry, and he, he was in the passage a little bit. But um, we're going to cover that section again today. We're going to pick it up at verse 12, because the next section really only makes sense when we've kind of grabbed hold of uh, verses 12 to eighteen, so um, I'm actually going to we're going to read from Colossians chapter three, verse twelve and following to the end of the chapter, and um, I know it's a little bit of a longer section, but if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter three, starting at verse twelve. I read from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Uh, most translations are wonderful, but this is a, a great Bible for um, reading if you're looking for a new Bible. It says this, Colossians 3.12, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Verse 16 says, Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Okay, that's just, by the way, that's just a little, little hint there on how we pray. We pray to God, but we pray through the authority or the name of Jesus as the Holy Spirit directs us. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, verse 22, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you've done. For God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Amen, that's right. Well, verses 12 and following, this is the section we just read here, they're packed with a challenge. It's just, it's just jammed in there. It's just full of a challenge. And it's this, that we live in a new way because as believers, we've been made new in Christ. And so we want to live in accordance to how we've been remade in Christ. Paul likens it to a new wardrobe. Maybe your translation of of the Bible says, put on love, put on these qualities. NLT kind of uh, expands a little bit. Clothe yourselves with, it's it's like a uniform that we dress ourselves in. Some of you know that I have a kind of a fondness for for hockey, professional hockey. And the NHL, the National Hockey League, just held their annual draft. You know, picking all the new players and and getting them. and, And with every... Draft pick, you know what happens? They broadcast it, and then they announce the name, and then what do they do immediately? They put a jersey on the kid and a hat. Uh, I've got a picture here of this. This kid is 17 years old, and he's been drafted to the San Jose Sharks. Now, uh, his name's Ryan Merkley. I remember that name. I think he's gonna be quite the player. But, he hasn't played a game yet. He's not gonna be playing a game for quite a while. He'll go into their development system and so on, but, he's got the uniform, and so the expectation now is that he's going to act like a San Jose shark. He wears, he's been clothed, and he's put on San Jose sharks. Well, Paul says in verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, he, you must clothe yourselves with, and then he goes on to talk about these different qualities that we're going to get to in a moment. See, when you put on your faith in Christ, it's because God chose you. God chose you. And so, like an athlete getting signed to a a team, you put on the jersey, you put on the clothing, you put on the uniform of a Christ follower. And in the body of Christ, that new jersey, that new uniform, has the greatest impact in the context of relationships. And like I say, even though we touched on verses 12 to 18, last week, I want to circle back to some, I think it's some just really helpful guidance so that we can win in relationships, in the home, in the workplace, in church, in the community, and so on. And so we're going to talk about six relationship keys. If you're taking notes today, you can write these things down. Six relationship keys. Uh, and it starts with several qualities in verse 12 that I'm going to summarize as grace or graciousness. Uh Relationships work when you live graciously, so things like that that are mentioned here tender hearted mercy, kindness, gentleness, um, humility, patience, right those things are a choice, a decision to live in that way, and it's a daily choice to be that. Kind of person. So the question is this: Can you be a gracious person in your relationships? Kindness, gentleness, mercy, humility, patience. The second key would be uh, what could be called margin. Uh, that the, the, te- the, the actual technical ter- technical term there is forbearance, or the New Living uh, in uh, verse. Um, Oh, the wrong chapter. Uh, the verse 13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults. It, it, that's, that's saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to give you some room to be human. we got to give each other room to be human. You know, it's very easy to say, You ought to be like that, and you ought to be like that, when we ourselves have not achieved that level of perfection. Isn't that interesting how easy it is to demand perfection from someone else? You should be perfect, but I'm not in that's okay. And Paul's saying, leave some room on the edges. Leave some margin to let others make mistakes. Forbearance. Be okay with others not being perfect. Um, maybe it's harder than it sounds, um, letting others be just as imperfect as you are. But can you give space? Can you give margin for others to be sinners, basically? A third one there, a third key is Forgiveness. He says, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, forgiveness does not mean we ignore the hurt we've experienced or that we forget about it. I don't believe in forgive and forget. I, I, I think that's a myth. And I think the reason we are called to forgive is because we can't forget. If I could forget what's been done wrong to me... I wouldn't need to forgive. There'd be no history of it. There'd be no record of it. Like, you know, I've forgotten that. Don't worry about it. But it's because those things that wounded me lodge in my heart, lodge in my memory. Like, wow, that hurt and I'm, I still bear the wounds or the scars of that. That's why I have to forgive. I've been hurt by people in my life. You have without a doubt. And I'm, maybe you are too, but I'm tempted to nurse those wounds and let them fester and think about getting justice and it should be fair and getting my way and, and having somebody say, Brian, you were right. We were all wrong. You're right. Not going to happen. And so I have to make that choice to forgive because if I don't forgive and if you don't forgive who suffers, you do, you know, this you can't make someone else suffer by refusing to forgive them. I'll never forget my mom. I'll forgive my mom. I'll never forgive my dad. You hear people say this stuff like, well then you're the one that's going to suffer all your life. And, and when, when we just let that unforgiveness fester, it makes, it makes me ugly if I do that. It makes me unattractive to the people around me. An unforgiving person is really no fun to be around. And so you're not going to find freedom until you forgive. Even forgiving the unforgivable things that were done to you. And you're saying, Brian, I just can't forgive some of those things. I know. I know that's why you need the grace and the mercy of God working in your life to bring you to that place where you say, I choose to forgive. Some of you are having a very hard time forgiving yourself for some of the things you've done those shameful things or embarrassing things or regretful things. And you also have to forgive yourself because the Lord forgave you. You can forgive you. So can you practice forgiveness? Fourth uh, fourth one there is to put on love, to dress yourself in love. Love just means seeking the best for others, seeking something that's good for others ahead of my own preferences and ahead of my own best. It's not, hey, you can go first right after me, right? It's, you can go first, I'll go last. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to the day when we really get this at the next church potluck and nobody goes to the front of the line. What are we going to do then? No, you, I love you so much, you should go first. No, no, you should go. Some of us will just have to be unloving and say, fine, I'll go, right? Love says, I'm here for your success. Love looks past what others have done. Looks past how they look, how they dress, how many tattoos they have. It just says, I just love you. I want to seek your best. So can you put on love in the body of Christ? Fifth one is peace, right? Peace, the peace of God is the governor of your heart. He says, let peace rule. It's, it's the one in charge. Peace is is reminding ourselves not to panic Jesus is the king of kings. He's got it under control. Can you let peace rule in your heart? And the last one, the sixth key here is thankfulness. We've talked a lot about this lately, so I won't say much about it. But I just hope that you've been noticing the benefits of practicing thankfulness in your relationships. Um, I wonder if it's making a difference for you as you're learning to say thank you to the people around you. Because if you'll practice grace and margin and forgiveness and love and peace and thankfulness, you will, guaranteed, without a doubt, notice that your relationships are working better than you expect. They just will. And and, and the secret really is this, to discover that our own happiness, my happiness, or my fulfillment is not the ultimate goal of my life this business of life liberty and the pure pursuit of happiness we have the freedom to do that but 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 part of that comes by seeking the benefit or the welfare of others as i put others ahead of myself for example every married person has had to work through those those moments of feeling like this isn't fair or man i'm 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 not being understood my needs aren't being met every married person has gone through those those moments right but When you recognize that that's not the goal, your own fulfillment is not the primary goal of your relationship. Every one of your relationships serves a higher purpose. And that higher purpose is to glorify God. It's not to be a slave to others. It's not to enslave others to your selfishness. It's to glorify, to make God famous, to glorify God. And so if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. The purpose of relationships of our relationships is to glorify God, not self. I'm not here to glorify myself in my relationships. I'm not here to to, to, to have the people around me, my wife and my kids say, oh, you're you're the best, you're the most amazing. We're going to elevate you and put you on a pedestal. No, no. Now, this gets to be a little bit of a problem because we get to verse 18 and right away the tension in the room goes up because it's wives. It starts with wives. Why Paul does that, I'm not sure. But wives submit to your husbands, he says. Wow, slaves, obey your masters. I don't know about you, but like right away, something in me goes, I don't really want to talk about this. Can we just skip over this passage? Couldn't Ricky have had this passage last week? And he wouldn't have said much about it anyway, so it would have been fine, right? No, we got to talk about it. Okay, the point of all of this, please, please try to just, just hear me out on, on this, is that your relationships... Right? Serve as a testimony to Christ, to glorify God. So you see these phrases in here. Verse 18, fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Why submit? We're all to submit to God. So it's fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Verse 20, this pleases God when kids, when you obey. Verse 24, Christ is your master. Right? Reminds us that Jesus is the one we answer to and not ourselves. And so when you live to glorify God, you will never lack motivation to do the right thing. When you live to glorify God, you will never lack for the motivation to do the right thing. Even in the hardships that you face or the unfairness that you encounter, it's not going to matter in light of serving this higher purpose of glorifying God, of making Christ Jesus known. That's what it means to glorify God. But, well, Ryan, doesn't this passage promote This is the buzzword of the day, misogyny. Misogyny just means a bias against women. In case you're wondering, I don't know any of you, but sometimes they start throwing these words out and I have to go to dictionary.com and say, what the heck is this word? Because you just, if you can say words that nobody understands, nobody will question you. That's just a little hint for you if you want to like, anyway, secret to success. Isn't it promoting misogyny? Isn't, isn't the Bible supporting slavery, right? Doesn't this passage take away children's rights? It just sounds so harsh and abusive and patriarchal and controlling. And it, it may seem that way on the service. But the answer, of course, is no. Because the New Testament was groundbreaking in its promoting of the rights and the giftings of women of elevating the dignity and status of slaves, of protecting children and allowing them a voice in a time that did not give them that. Living as equals in Christ is the backbone of all these relationship discussions. Paul earlier has said, look, in Christ there is no male, female, uh, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. He's already said, look, that's we're all equal in Christ. So... You need to remember that in the day that Paul was writing, women didn't have rights. And yet, here's Paul promoting harmonious and mutually supportive equalized relationships. Like, hey, we're together in Christ. Slavery was not the slavery that we understand today. In some ways it was, of course, but in large ways. For example, in the cities, we're told that up to half the population may have been slaves at that time. And they were usually well provided for and paid for their services. And they included doctors and tradespeople and teachers. And some of you are doctors and tradespeople and teachers. And you feel like a slave. Um, I get that, right? But 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 that was kind of the norm of the day. And so, to you know, slavery was never promoted in the New Testament. But nor would it have made sense for Paul to try to dismantle that um, institution. It would be like saying okay, nobody is allowed to breathe air anymore. I mean, it's just, it was so integral into the fabric of their, their culture. And so he didn't campaign against it. Instead, what did he do? He promoted an equality, starting with the body of Christ, starting with the church, he promoted an equality between believers, even, for example, slaves and slave owners, or men and women, or Jews and Gentiles. And so by promoting that level of equality, what happens? Eventually, it leads to great things like our own documents, like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and of course the Emancipation Proclamation. You, you recognize, friends, throughout history, that it's always been Christians that have 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 promoted uh, you know freedom against oppression through racism and slavery. You recognize that, right? So when when your friends says, "Oh, the church just is always down," people, you need to recognize that's. That's a false narrative, okay? So so the New Testament is always elevating people. The the passage, though, is telling us that if we're going to do relationships right in the community of God's people, we need to do this. We need to get our flowchart right. You need to get your flowchart right. Well, what do I mean by that? You know what a flowchart is, right? You've got this... Box at the top and then a couple boxes below that and each of those boxes have boxes below that and a person is each one. And here this person is the boss and this person then they answer this. And, uh, you know, management type people love that stuff. I kind of do too. Uh, I think the military probably does it better than anybody else. And so the, the benefit of that is, especially in the military, they always know the chain of command. They clearly understand to whom they answer and for whom they're responsible. That's very clearly laid out, laid out. In a, in a flow chart. Well, I want you to think of this passage as sort of a relationship flow chart in the body of Christ. God has an order for relationships. Only instead of all the power flowing down and all the responsibility flowing up, it, it flows both ways. Power and responsibility flowing back and forth. And so, and, and up and down, and you know, that, that kind of thing. So I admit, in, in our, current cultural context, it does seem kind of awkward or out of place. But the word, I mean, it, it, here's the thing. That word submit is probably the biggest stumbling block. That's where people get stuck. I don't know. I just don't like that word. My wife and I were talking about this. It's just, it's, it's just that word that's hard to to swallow, right? For example, why would why would wives be urged to submit to husbands? Because it just sounds so Old-fashioned and demeaning and controlling. If we're equal, which we've already established that we are, why is it necessary? Why does this need to be said? Well, it's because we are equal, but we're not equivalent. Okay? We're not all the same. We're different. Okay? So, that's fine. I understand that we're different. But why submit? Why should one have to submit to the other? And why men and then women? It just sounds so unfair. I believe, this is kind of my theory on this, I think that's because it's just so hard to do. So, not for guys so much. See, most good husbands have no problem submitting to their wives' needs and desires and interests, right? Every good husband wants his wife's happiness because he knows, say it with me, happy wife, happy life. That's not meant to be demeaning. It's just the reality, friends. So guys are like, hey, I can submit to what she needs. That's fine. It doesn't bother me. Oh, God, God has charged husbands with the ministry of protection and care over the wife. So when she submits, or maybe another word is trust, when she trusts his care or protection, she's. She's in a place where she can flourish. She's better for it. So to submit does not mean she's not going to lead or flourish or thrive or succeed or, or accomplish great things. But she does it with someone protecting her, watching her, right? Caring for her, promoting her. Just as most wives already defend and watch over their husbands. Uh, most wives are highly defensive of their husbands. You, you mess with them and a wife will say, you talking about my husband? Right? <laughs> and so guys are, guys are reminded, hey guys, you need to do that too. And, and wives need to learn to, to, to agree to kind of trust that governance. Now this is, this is, look, I, I don't know if I can, we can't really unpack this in a few minutes together, but we, we've got to g- grasp it. It's actually good for us when we do this because it's just as we submit to God. Now, husbands are to love their wives with tenderness, as you see in verse nineteen. Um, love your wives and never treat them harshly, as it, it's written. Most good wives have no problem loving their husband tenderly, but us guys do. We're quick to to cut with our tongue. We're quick to be critical and demanding, and and, you know, a bit obtuse in these things. And Paul's charging us as men to, to love with a gentleness under which a wife can flourish. So you've, you've got situations where it, it's really about gifting. So let's say in a, in a husband-wife relationship, let's say the wife is gifted with with a kind of more obvious leadership abilities. Maybe she's got more obvious kind of communication or abilities or management abilities and you've got a husband behind saying go for it do it i'm with you i'm totally support she goes are are we good together yeah do it and he's promoting and he's encouraging her she's still submitted to his care and protection and the same way you've got you've got a husband so that's the love and and so she submits to him and and he loves her tenderly and there has to be mutual love and submission, particularly in marriage. Both seeking to lift up, to elevate the other. My wife said it like this, because I, I, I asked her, said, well, you know, I'm going to be talking about this. And she said, you know what? She says, a good husband is easy to submit to. Now, I think she was including me in that. We, we didn't really, <laughs> I didn't ask her to elaborate on that point, right? And she said this, the buck ultimately stops with you anyway, she said. And she said, I'm okay with it. So you've got to grapple with this on your own and wrestle with it. But but Paul's Paul's giving us teaching that's actually really helpful for our relationships. Because otherwise, a marriage, if we don't mutually submit, and a, a marriage relationship, and I would say any relationship, in fact, is going to collapse under the destructive nature of what I call the three D's. Three D's. We're, we're going to go for a few more minutes here, So so hang on tight. The three Ds of relationship failure. This is kind of turning into a little bit of a seminar. Three things that I think you want to avoid. To if you if you're going to do these things, you're eventually going to ruin relationships. First one's disdain. Disdain is that sort of, you know, the eye rolling, the kind of a curled lip. Like that's a dumb thing. I can't believe. It. You know, like, oh, you're telling that joke again. Oh, you're telling that story again. Oh, oh, why are you always late? You're always late. You don't even, it's not even helping all the extra time in the bathroom. But that's disdain, okay? (laughs) I've never said that. Making stuff up, all right? Belittling, mocking disdain it's just it's just poison for a relationship another one is defensiveness defensiveness it's just brutal hey um i thought you said you were gonna uh, bring in the trash cans well i just didn't have time i knew it's not really my job and or you know hey i thought you you said you were gonna call so-and-so well i didn't have the number and defensiveness always pushing me you know what defensiveness is it's a wall Right? A defensive wall around your heart and nobody can get through. Nobody can get to the heart of the matter because you've got a wall up all the time. You're never wrong. You can never be corrected. You're always right. You're a know-it-all. You're All those things. Defensiveness, another poison for relationships. Own up to your mistakes. Own up to your failures. Uh, own up to your responsibilities. Third one is disregard. Disregard. Disregard is just like just not taking seriously yeah, you know, I'm thinking particularly in marriage, but other relationships as well. Not taking seriously someone's giftings or their ideas or their feelings or their needs or their interests, right? Maybe she says, "I, I really, I just really would love a a day that we could just go to the go to the coast together." And I just, I've just been so stressful at my job, and I just, I just need a quiet day together. You don't need that. It's way too expensive, and it doesn't really matter. You don't even, you always fall asleep on the way back anyway, and. And the Splash Cafe, the lineup's too long, right? You come up with some, or someone at work says, hey, I just, I really think it'd be great if we could try this over here and make this slight change in the workplace. We did that before. We tried that years ago. It didn't work. It's... It'll never work. It's a dumb idea. Disregard, where we just dismiss, we push away anybody's, and what is, it, it just shuts them down. It shuts them down and it closes, you know, it's like a flower and you just crush that flower little by little. It's another poison for relationships. So really, I, we could add lots of extra things, but I want to give you kind of three D's of, of relationship devastation on this. And so that's part of what we're being warned against here. So there's a flow chart for all these relationships, right? Wives, trust your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, don't alienate or dominate your kids. Employees, work hard as if, as if Jesus were your boss because he is. And, and employees, I mean bosses, treat your employees the way you would want to be treated in the workplace because Jesus is your boss. This kind of flow chart between all these relationships that Paul's talking about in here. And so, if I'm going to summarize this whole relationship flow chart this way, I would say this, promote those above you and protect those below you. Promote those above you, protect those below you. What I mean by that? Well, to promote those above you means you seek their best. You seek their welfare. You you seek to to build them up. The people that are uh, you know above you in your your flow chart line. You speak well of them. You you give your support to them. You, You make it easy for them to lead you as when my kids were young, we used to say it this way, say, make it easy for people to love you. Make it easy for your brother to love you. Those kinds of statements. And it's worked out. They've turned out into fine young men. I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. So, right? And, And to protect those below you means you look for ways to bless To encourage, to love, and to help them. Sometimes you got people in a leadership role and they just treat the people below them like they're their servants, like they're their slaves, like, you ought to do this for me, you ought to do that for me. You know, uh, I'm a, I'm above that menial task, you do that. And, and that's really toxic. Instead we're to bless, to serve the people below us, to, to really protect them, right? And the people, the people above us, we're tempted sometimes to talk down about our boss, about our supervisor. Oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Oh, she's so full of herself, blah, blah, blah. And instead we want to say, look, I'm here to make things better for you. I'm here to make your job easier. I'm here to to make you succeed. So promote those above you. Protect those below you. Let me give you an example because we're talking about the context of household relationships as well. I've shared with you before that I grew up in a home that was pretty strict. You know, my parents... um, they didn't allow us to go to see movies. We weren't supposed to go to the school dances. We we uh, had earlier curfews than everybody else. I, it was pretty strict upbringing. And, um, you know, I, I made a decision in my... I don't know if it was conscious or subconscious, but I made a decision in my teen years that I wasn't going to throw my parents under the bus on stuff. And, and some of you younger people, I, you know, this is kind of a challenge to you guys. I, I didn't want my friends to think badly of my parents. And so... If it was like, man, my, you know, it's curfew time for me and all my friends are just, just getting started, I'd be like, oh, you guys have got a lot of homework to, I'm going to work on tomorrow. I'd make up some excuse and I'd, I didn't want to say, oh, my dumb old parents. So, because that just was kind of a powerless way to do that. And you know what's happened? By promoting my parents in my early years, I've enjoyed a lifelong positive relationship with my parents. And they've helped me out a ton. And they've encouraged me a ton. And, and, and uh, you know, I've got good help from them. It's, it's been worth it. And meanwhile, I can see now in hindsight that they were doing their best to protect and care for me as, as best they understood. And really, I think kept me from some very unhealthy influences when I look at how some of the, my peers, directions of my peers went. Or, or take this to the workplace. If, if you'll promote your superiors with a, with a hardworking, uh, um, attitude, being a positive and subordinate Employee, your life's gonna go well because you've made their job better. Now, I am not, okay, time out aside here. We're not talking about submitting to abusive situations or, or, you know, blind compliance when there's, you know, you're commanded to do something illegal. That, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about generally, you know, fair and legal workplace situations. Just promote the people above you. Even if you're not recognized, what's gonna happen? God's gonna bless you because He's the real boss, right? And if you have employees, your job is to protect your employees from unfair and unsafe practices or unhelpful policies. If you recognize something, hey, there's something we're doing here that's making this really difficult for my employee. I can change this and make their job a little easier. That's your, you do that. So you protect the people below you so they can succeed and flourish. Husbands, you protect your wife from from being overloaded at home, or dealing with, you know, those of you especially you have got younger kids, it can be really hard, right? And so you work at protecting and helping them through that. Wives, you promote your husband by speaking of well, speaking well of your husband to your friends, to your kids, to your mom, right? Don't call your mom and complain about your bleepity bleep husband, whatever you call him, like. Speak well of your husband even when you're mad at him because sometimes you're mad at him because he's a guy and we do dumb things, right? That's just how it goes. Even if even if the dad of your children is your ex, nobody wins when you trash him. I'm serious. You just do your best to speak as positively as you can, to be as upbuilding as you can and promoting as you can. Because when we grasp that our relationships are actually meant to glorify God, right, to make God famous, to lead other people to know Jesus, then everything changes. Everything changes in that. My marriage then isn't for my own fulfillment. It's for the glory of God. My work isn't just to pay the bills. It's for the glory of God. My, my parenting isn't to live my life vicariously through my kids. It's for the glory of God. Everything and every relationship is meant to build God up, to bring His praise, to glorify Him, to make Jesus famous in all the circles where I'm placed. And so when we follow with those good relationship keys that Paul gives us here, when we, when we make glorifying God our first priority, when we, when we trust God's flow chart for us, we're going to discover that Jesus really is enough. In every relationship that we have. And when we get that right, guess what? We serve our greater purpose of glorifying God and gathering a harvest of salvation. So, you know, how can you, how can you promote this week as you head into your week? How can you promote the people above you? How can you protect the people below you? How can you glorify God in your relationships? Let's pray together. God, we're so grateful that yet you've given us direction. You speak to the very day-to-day reality of our lives this is not some uh, ethereal irrelevant stuff this is right where we live every day god and you've spoken to it you've given us really practical guidance for our life lord help us to to embrace it and to trust you even the things that are hard for us to hear god help us to trust you in those and to watch how you will bless and cause things to flourish and succeed as a result god we love you thank you that you love us more than we could ever even imagine. You're so good. We give you our praise. We thank you. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this uh this opportunity to bless, praise and and uh, and, and to promote you in all things in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. Amen.